1: Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mary James, and today I'm excited to introduce you to an amazing therapist, Toby Levitt. Hi, everybody. Hi, Toby. It's so great to see you. It's good to
2: see you, too. Thank you for inviting me today.
1: Yeah, well, you've done so much for our family. Um, you have worked several years ago with one of my children. And um, sh- you were the only therapist that she would actually that they would actually go see, or well, I shouldn't give away which child it is. Um, so we're so forever grateful to you and for you for that. Oh thank um, you. Yeah, So if you could share with our friends listening and watching about your background um, and when you' decided to become a therapist.
2: Sure. My background, um, as you can tell, is I'm not from here originally. I'm from South Africa. And so initially I was um, a social worker in South Africa. And then when I came to the United States about 30 years ago, um, I went and had to requalify and got a master's as a marriage family therapist. And um, that was what um, helped me get into this field and um, just growing up, I my mother was a social worker, so I'd always heard about her helping other people, and that intrigued me, and so I think that kind of influenced me to get into this field, and I've been doing that ever since, and I'm also fortunate enough that I just have a daughter that just qualified as a psychologist, and so I think just like a field of people in, in the helping field, so it's been really great to see how it's been three generations of um counselors in the family.
1: I'm so sorry if my dogs start barking in the pa- outside <laughs> uh, in the background. That is so amazing. Actually, it sounds like uh you all are healers and it's in your blood.
2: Yeah, I think it definitely is in our blood to be able to help people out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so if you could tell me um who are your either ideal clients or usual clients?
2: Yeah, I that, yeah. I have, um, I'm fortunate um, to have a private practice that's pretty busy and um, fortunate enough to see a whole array of different kinds of clients. So I'll give you some maybe examples of favorite clients. Um, I love working with school age kids. Um, elementary school age kids. And I think just during COVID, it's been really challenging for them. And so it's really been helping them transition from, especially right now, school has started from from being at home, being isolated to being at school. So I see a lot of um, elementary school age kids. I also see a number of school age kids that are involved in high conflict divorce situations where um, it's helping them with visitation with parents. So I often will do what we call family reunification, which is seeing a child with one of the parents that they may have more of a difficult relationship with or helping them transition when there is divorce and custody situation. So those are part of my ideal clients. Um, I love working with teenagers. Um, And so I really enjoy working with the kids, again, with a lot of transitions that they've had to deal with, with going into school Um, and also um, working with the teenagers that may be self-harming or having a lot of difficulty with moods and helping them manage their moods. Um, I see a lot of also college um, students and helping them with their different lifestyle transitions. Um, And then I also work um, a lot with families or children or teenagers or adults that have been exposed to a lot of trauma. And so I will do a lot of trauma work with them, whether it's been domestic violence or physical abuse or sexual abuse or any kind of abuse. And so I do work with them too. And then I do a lot of couples counseling. So I really enjoy that. Um, working with infidelity or any kind of problems in a relationship um, and I work with clients that have anxiety, um, OCD and um, bipolar. So a lot of work using DBT skills to help them manage their moods. Wow, so a whole array
1: of different clients. Absolutely and I have so many questions for you. The first one since you just mentioned DBT, can you share with us um, what that is? So dialectical
2: behavior therapy is a form of therapy which is evidence-based and so you see a lot of changes in the clients and a lot of it's based on Buddhism principles and so a lot of it is helping clients especially if they are having problems with their mood with depression or anxiety Um, and it's helping them look at things more in terms of what they call wise mind and wise mind is being able to help clients always look at things more factually. Um, versus emotionally. So, emotionally is when people look at the world through how they think and feel. And the DBT helps people focus less on their thoughts and feelings and more on things that are factual um, so that they can start focusing less on their thoughts and feelings. So, that's one component. Another component is teaching them how to have acceptance of situations and trying not to always change other people and it's also teaching people to be more mindful to be more in the moment and not so focused on the past or the present and then lastly it also teaches people if they're overwhelmed to help how to help them bring down those overwhelming emotions so that's the sort of nutshell version of dbt
1: That sounds amazing. Is that something that you is usually done in conjunction with medicine, or maybe does it help get a patient off of medication?
2: Yeah, it can actually be done both ways. It can definitely be done in conjunction, which is a great question, Mara, in conjunction with medication because often medication will help people if their mood's a little bit more heightened or if they're depressed will help stabilize their mood. And so um, once that happens, then it becomes easier for people to be less focused on their thoughts and their feelings. And then I think a lot of the DBT, once people learn those skills, it can help them get off medication because those skills, then become muscle memory and they remember the skills Um, you know everybody's obviously got to talk to their doctor to make sure that the doctor thinks they're okay to get off medication but often when those skills become more muscle memory it becomes easier if they need to get off medication that they do have those tools particularly for people that may have like anxiety or depression that's kind of nearing the end of the depression.
1: Right, sure. So, something that's very near and dear to my heart um, is child molestation because I uh, myself and know many people that have gone through it. So, how does that work? Like, when, so different stages, right? When a parent knows that a young child has gone through it. Um, when you know you or a parent knows, but the child might not even remember. Cause I have a lot of clients I'm working with that are in their teens or 20s that I intuitively know that they've been molested. They don't know. Um, I'm not a trained therapist, so I don't tell them, I just connect them with people. So mm-hmm. if you can kind of guide like what can be done for different ages and stages. And the last one after that, what can a person heal entirely if they do not recall the um, trauma that happened? So I'll leave all those questions with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking about maybe more of a younger child, obviously if the parent knows about molest, obviously the, um, the sooner um, that a person gets help the better because it's easier to heal from Um, a molest um, when they're younger, then they're not carrying it, as you correctly said, Mara, otherwise they're carrying it with them. And then um, they may or may not always remember everything. And so it's probably easiest to get help straight away. And to be able, I think for a parent to be able to go to a therapist who specializes in working with children that um, have been exposed to any kind of abuse. And part of the treatment, which really makes a significant difference for a child Um, or even a teenager that's gone through this is the support of the parent. In other words, the parent supporting the child, because that makes such a huge difference in the child's life versus having an unsupportive parent. And so being able to support them, hear them, let them know that they're going to be there to protect them and keep them safe is probably some of the most important things that a parent can do immediately. And then obviously um, to take them to a therapist and then, um, in, in a lot of situations, child protection services may need to get involved just to do more of the investigation part. So that part is done. Um, and then it's really just making that child feel safe and helping them feel secure. And that's probably so much, you know, and obviously helping the child deal through any of the trauma. And part of the trauma is helping any of the children just really feel more safe and know that that's not happening anymore. And so that's, um, you know, just very briefly to help the child. Same as with teenagers, it would be something similar that the the teenagers know that they have the support um, of parents and that they can talk to them um, and help them and maybe not always question them exactly about everything that's happened. I think the other part is for anybody who's been through a lot of trauma, something like um, child abuse is to know that very often people will go through stages of, um, and, and especially with teenagers or even young adults, is um, for the families to know that the children will often go through stages of either being more um, of so fight, flight, freeze, or please and appease. And I think it's important for families to know that. So very often when children have gone through molest or teenagers or any, even adults, you're either going to get into more being more angry. And so maybe for parents just to recognize if their children are getting help, they may be more angry and reactive. And it's not a necessary, a personal thing. It's just that they are dealing with a lot of the emotions that have happened. So they may be more getting into more fights or arguments with their parents. So that's the fight mode. Flight is where often they may want to avoid talking about it or avoid any kind of situation that reminds them of the trauma freeze is when they almost literally shut down and they don't want to talk about it and so just to be aware of that And very often anybody who's gone through trauma, whether it's kids, teenagers or adults can get into more pleasing or appeasing behavior, which would be very pleasing everybody because they don't want anybody to get upset with them. And so maybe just for families to be aware of that, that that can happen and as much as possible, not to take it too personally, but just support them during those difficult times.
1: Wow. Wonderful. So one of my clients has um, a daughter in her teens or maybe 20 that is working with a therapist, um, but she doesn't remember the molestation, but she knows it happened and she has a lot of fear. So when that happens, and maybe it's not the right therapist for her right there. Everyone's different. Um, is there a way to help this person through the fear? Like recommend, um, recommend taking like medication versus doing some type of, um, you know, treatment to help their bodies calm down. Yeah, that's a great
2: question because sometimes people aren't going to always remember everything that happened, especially if incidences happen when they were maybe below the age of three. So they're not going to always remember, but sometimes physiologically they may remember or their body may have some kind of memories. And so a lot of it is being able to recognize if they are feeling more fearful. Probably the best way to describe it is um, like I'll describe to clients. If you can imagine you're driving in your car and your car engine light comes on you know, what does that mean? And it just, you know what it means is that there's something wrong with my car. I might need to check it up. And so a lot of times when people have gone through trauma, it's almost if like a light switch goes off in their brain and that little light comes on and it's telling them that there's some possible danger. And so often they may feel more fearful. And I think it's been able to help clients recognize that this is really what's going on because of the past, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's happening right now. So it's just like a little warning sign. And so that they can start recognizing okay this is just my warning sign and then it's been able to help give them tools um you know so if they are feeling more fearful whether it's helping them do some more breathing exercises um just to help bring some of that down um Bessel van der Kolk, who's a trauma specialist, will talk about really just kind of getting to know your body, getting to know, um, you know, what feels in balance for you. So um, whether it's just recognizing I need to move a little bit. So in other words, helping them if they frightened, um, if they're more um, agitated, that would be some of the breathing or if they're going to shut down, it would be doing things like um movement or moving to kind of get their body just to change. So it's coming, teaching people to be more aware of their bodies. And then um, I'm fortunate at the moment to be going through a training of EMDR. And so EMDR can often help people um, process their trauma and learn um, to deal with it in a different way. And probably the best way just to quickly describe EMDR, which stands for eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. And so basically what it is, is if somebody, a therapist, is training those kinds of, they're looking at traumatic events, um, talking to them, and it's almost like you're moving your eyes from side to side. And what happens is as people move their eyes from side to side and they're able to talk about their traumatic events, it takes off the edge of those events and it's almost the best way to describe it is that the memories they'll have of the trauma would be like you're on a train and you're just passing things by and you don't have um, you just have like sort of memories about it but they're not intense memories and that's what the EMDR will do for someone when they've gone through trauma and that can be done with children as well as adults
1: and but for that that i'm assuming because i've actually done and i've done it over zoom which was amazing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um i you have to, the um patient needs to be aware of the trauma to right they to talk yeah. through
2: so they need to be aware but it, but the interesting thing and that goes back to your question is that um it doesn't have to be like all the details it could just be certain sensations that they're feeling And even being able to bring those sensations down or even if they're feeling unsafe and even if it's that, and they have some kind of symbol about that um, unsafety. So it could even just be, you know, when I feel the tightness in my chest, and knowing that that's happening, that will help bring it down too. So it doesn't, you know, so a person doesn't need to know all the details, but it's just something that's bothering them at the time. And the goal is just to bring those um, either sensations or any kind of thoughts or feelings down.
1: Sorry, of course. Wow, how amazing! And with the EMDR, is tapping similar or is
2: that separate? Um, Tapping separate. Although for people, if they cannot do, if it's hard for them to do the eye movement, then there's different kinds of forms of EMDR that can be done. And one would be like a butterfly one, where there is some kind of tapping that can be done as well. But it's a little bit different to tapping.
1: Uh, I remember watching a video where Prince Harry was doing that and talking about it, which is so beautiful and profound. And um, I even found out that um, in Orange County, the county is paying for EMDR sessions, which is so beautiful. So it's definitely something that's evidence based and acceptable and, and healable.
2: Yeah, no, definitely you see a a lot of changes. I think in any, and that's the the nice thing now, you know, with research showing with trauma work, it it really, you know, part of it, a little part of it is being able to do what we call talk therapy, but the rest of it is really, as you were saying, Mara, would be like EMDR or would be teaching you body movements, somatic parts of it. There's somebody called Dr. Peter Levin that does a lot of what we call somatic work, helping people see where they feel it in their bodies, and then helping them deal with it more somatically. So there's wonderful ways to deal with trauma.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Um, is any part of the process have to do with forgiveness? Because I know I've been working seven long years um, with mine. And, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to be able to forgive um, the abusers.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's different. Um, you know, so I think everybody's different. I mean, I think the first Peace, obviously, is to really help people deal with the aftermath of the trauma, which often is a lot of triggers and a lot of reminders about the event and a lot of um, what we call hyper arousal, where a person feels like they are kind of stuck and they're always fearful. So you first always want to get that down and down and people are able to be less um, focused on their triggers and less reminded, you know, then some people can get to that point. Of forgiveness or, or often what it can be is maybe, you know, we're using forgiveness. It might be just looking at that situation a lot differently and less emotionally. And maybe that's even more helpful than anything else.
1: Wow. Amazing. And I have um, so many more questions for you. And I know you have some, uh, well, we want you to share some stories that you could with your clients, of course, I uh, no names for HIPAA that will all be able to help our listeners and friends and watchers out there help. So we're going to take a very brief break and we'll be right back.
2: Great. Thank you.
0: In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. you're enjoying today's let's talk wellness podcast and if you have a topic that you would like us to explore we would love to hear from you simply email us at info at that's info at and now back to the show
1: welcome back to let's talk wellness i'm your host hi. mara james and today we have an amazing therapist toby levitt hi everybody Welcome back Toby. So Toby, have you have you seen a lot of changes in your clientele or what your patients are experiencing as a result of COVID?
2: Yeah, I've seen so many different changes um, and I'm thinking particularly with my school age kids, um, elementary school age kids, middle school, um, middle age kids, school age kids and also high school kids. I think one of the biggest fears that all these kids had in common was that everybody was really scared of going back to school once school started and so um, I literally was so full trying to help these people just transition going you know going back to school a lot of them had fears about catching COVID they had fears about seeing friends again not um, especially some of the kids that Um, were more junior high school kids were worried that they would look different, feel different, they wouldn't have friends. Same as in high school, they were worried about would their friends still want to be with them. The younger kids were worried about making friends and sitting in school and um, there was a lot of fear about it. And so um, a lot of the focus of counseling for those kids was to help them deal with those transitions and to prepare them. I had a number of um, kids, particularly high school kids, have panic attacks. Um, I've had a couple of them, even one or two that would call me from school and have to kind of really talk them through being back in school again. So I think that was a really difficult time um, for these children and it's still been a little bit harder. The one plus has been that because the kids wear masks, it's actually been a good thing, especially because then we spoke about you can be a little bit invisible. Nobody needs to be able to see your face and so that's helped some. But, um, I think it's been a little bit easier now that school's been going for about three weeks, but it's
1: been a big change for these kids. Sure. And what about, um, with depression? Have you seen any changes in that? Yeah, um, yeah depression
2: definitely hit so many people and that was I think any age group particularly during COVID with people being isolated Um, this has really been so stressful for people because there's been a lot of isolation and I think really at the height of it was when people were really at home and they weren't going out so there was a lot of depression um, a lot of Family problems for families, um, because I think most people have never spent as much time with one another as they have during COVID time. So it's been really challenging for people. And I think people's moods were really lower. A lot of people also lost jobs. And so um, families were impacted by that. And there was a lot of worries about just basic needs, such as money or food, um, and a lot of fear based around COVID. So I think it's been pretty challenging. And so a lot of counselling has been to help them look at things a lot differently, that there are options, that there are possibilities. um, And it's really been been able to really help people recognise that this is temporary, even though it's felt like a really long time. But it has been pretty challenging for families. And I think just really for anybody during COVID time, it seems like it's a lot better now that things are going slowly back to normal But people still are, I mean, there still is a lot of depression, um, particularly as a result of COVID.
1: Do you think that there's going to be a lot of after effect with a lot of the children in the future?
2: Yeah, I think for, I mean, everybody's a little bit different. I mean, I think there's pluses, you know, the pluses are that people can see that this is temporary and that we have been able to get through this. And then I think for other people, it's been more challenging because there's been a gap of time Where And that's really anybody, whether it's um, children or adults, where people were isolated and they've had to almost relearn how to be with other family members or be with friends or get themselves back into the normal day-to-day routine. So um, I think for some of those people, there definitely will be challenges post-COVID too.
1: Right. I once heard somebody say, we have to retrain the social muscle. Like we would do a physical muscle when we go to the gym
2: yeah I definitely think um, for a lot of people it really is retraining the social muscle beforehand all of us were so free and giving each other hugs and being excited and being on top of one another and doing a lot of social things just going out and just having fun and now it's a lot different I mean I think people are hugging each other a little bit more now but still people are careful how you greet one another what kind of social arrangements and it's still hard for anybody who's 12 and under so social it's still very difficult I mean kids can go out but it's still hard um, for those kids that are not vaccinated or unvaccinated to be able to truly feel comfortable being around their friends because they can't always do all the things that they used to do and so it is different and it's different I think for all of us just how we socialize now we socialize in smaller groups and um, even things like for people that are working work Work groups are going out. People aren't going out as much, or if they do, you know, we're still wearing masks, so we've got to be really careful. So it's a it's a big transition for everybody.
1: Wow, wow, wow! Um, can you share with us a few of your uh, patients' stories that would be able to help um, shed light on different types of scenarios, and also some of the people listening might be able to uh, relate to their own families. Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can think of a couple of things I was just thinking about, especially during COVID time. I think um, part of it is dealing and and maybe give an example um, of one of the kids that I was working with um, who was dealing um, with anxiety um, during this time, because obviously it was really fearful, a fearful time um, and a lot of worrying about COVID and what it was going to do to them and so um a lot of it was helping that um, child deal with um or teenager rather deal with things like um doing school online which is really hard for a lot of people and I think it's been really tough for all our school-aged children and teenagers to do that so it was helping transition with that helping transition that um helping them deal with that transition, helping them if they were feeling very overwhelmed, also teaching them a lot of the DBT skills, which really makes a difference when a person's anxious to be able to literally put cold water on your face and that kind of helps bring it down. And so it's been teaching them something called the dive response. And the dive response is if somebody dives into cold water and you get this part of your face wet, if you just literally throw put your hands like this, run it under cold water and go like this one, two, three, it helps calm you down. So it's teaching. And so it was for her teaching her and any of the other people that deal with anxiety, teaching her when she starts getting anxious to bring it down and then to be able to look at situations more logically. And so the logic part would be that even though you think, Um, you're not going to be studying, you will be studying. Or even if you think nobody cares about you, people do care about you. So it's kind of changing the thoughts. And that really made a big difference to her. So she was able to deal with uh, COVID a lot easier. She actually was able to get her grades up at school because she was really worried about what the teacher was going to think about her or what friends were going to say about her. Um, And then it really was helping her during this transition when school started because she was having panic attacks when school was starting and I would literally help her just before preparing her and um, before she would go to school you know we're going to prepare you you'll have a specific place to meet with your friends um, go look at the school look at where you'll be what classes you'll go through and um, she was able to the first week was a little challenging from school but then after that she was able to transition into school and also obviously with the support of her parents too
1: and did she have panic attacks before COVID, or was it more of a result of COVID? It was more of a result of COVID. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah.
2: And I think that's happened to a lot of people because um, all of a sudden everything just shut down. And a lot of times when people have panic attacks or when they feel anxiety, they feel like they don't have control over a situation. And I think all of us felt at one point we didn't have control of what was going on. And so that does make a person more panicky. And then it's been able to help people identify that these are the things that make us vulnerable and we don't have control. And so um, part of teaching. Or counseling people is to help them look at that and help them realize, okay, that's what's going on. And these are the tools that I can use to help me feel less anxious. So that's kind of one example of somebody that was dealing with um, COVID and anxiety.
1: Wow. And do you ever have, um, are there any children that you find that are empathic, that they're literally taking on their, their friends or their family's emotions that aren't even their own?
2: Yeah, you know, because a lot of times we'll see um, children that really pick up the parents' um, stress. And particularly during COVID, a lot of it was for some of the families that were either worried about getting sick. And so um, I did see, and that was interesting too, I saw a number of young kids during COVID that were actually having OCD symptoms, a lot of fear about things that needed to be clean. And everything had to be perfect. And and an example was one of the kids that I saw, uh, a younger age kid, um, she got a huge, she did, she developed OCD about cleanliness. And so we had to spend a lot of time during COVID getting her to a point where she didn't have to wash her hands anytime she touched something. And so I think definitely a lot of people's OCD was much more heightened during that time. Um, And she worked so hard. I mean, it was really cute. She wouldn't go to her bathroom. She wouldn't touch anything. Um, Her hands were bleeding when I first met her because she would repeatedly wash her hands the whole time because she had learned from her parents. And all of us did at one point. We all thought we needed to wash our cans and everything else. And that kind of heightened the OCD. Um, And so we worked really hard on her um, learning that it was okay. She didn't have to touch everything. She didn't have to clean everything um, and it was interesting. Her last challenge was touching doorknobs um, and then being able to recognize that it, you, you don't have to clean your hands after you touch a doorknob. And so she worked so hard on it. And um, it was amazing just seeing the changes in her once she learned that it was okay and nothing was going to happen to her if she did touch something and she didn't wash her hands. Wow.
0: And so that's kind of
2: an example of, you know, and I think a lot of people's OCD was definitely heightened, um, during With COVID her. time, especially around cleanliness.
1: Right. Wow. And just thinking about her and like the fe- living in that fear, it's just, it will wear and tear on you. Wow. Yeah.
2: And yeah, so I think people picked that up. And I think people also picked up a lot of tension. A lot of kids um, or families were worried about, and it's not just kids, but adults were worried about their marriages not working. Um, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of marital conflict, I think for people, a lot of marital tension and interesting enough, I was during COVID. I'm not quite sure how that happens, but a lot of people having affairs during COVID time too. So, um, I think, you know, just like the tension or people being able to sneak out of their home sometimes, or be having um, a lot of contact with people outside of their homes, help people get through some difficult times. So that was quite interesting seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did cause a lot of tension in families um, being all at home at the same time. I mean, there were pluses, but there were also definitely some tension during that time too. Yeah. And even now, like post-COVID, um, just different roles have changed. Um, and there's there's been a lot of different changes in families' dynamics and structures as a result of that.
1: Wow. Wow. Um, can you ask, can you share with us another story about another client?
2: Yeah. So I can talk to you a little bit about, um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head about maybe just um, some family tensions. I think the, um, uh, one of the things I'm seeing more and more, um, and I'll give an example of um, a family is um, families also, or couples with maybe babies, you know, or new family members. I think that during um, just in general, and maybe give an example of a family that I saw or a couple that had their um second child during COVID and the tension because beforehand, the um, wife was the breadwinner and that's been a big change, I think in different families too. So the wife was the breadwinner and um, then after her second baby was born and the husband was more stay at home, but then after his second baby was born, she decided to be the breadwinner. And that was, it came with a lot of transitions too, because first of all, it's a transition. And we are seeing that more and more where men are taking care of their kids And the wives are the um, breadwinners, So that was a little bit different in their family. And they had just settled into that. And they had their second child. And then that transition was she wanted to stay home. And then he had to be the breadwinner. And really helping them deal with those kind of transitions. um, And also um, helping them figure out their roles. um, Because before, with the husband being at home, he was taking care of the kid, the one kid now that they had a second kid she wanted to and really helping them figure out who was in charge, which sort of rules inverted commas to listen to. And so that took a lot of strain on their relationship and now um, things are fine. Um, She's at home taking care of the kids and he's gone back to work. And um, they've managed to figure out a way where they can support one another and make time for each other as a couple, because that's been really hard for some of these families. And then also make time to deal with the kids at the same time. So that's that's kind of an example of what happens sometimes in families with different transitions.
1: It's so amazing that they reached out to you because you probably helped them save the marriage and which helps, of course, the children. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Wow. Um, so share, can share with us, um, do you accept insurance?
2: Yeah, so I'm on all the different insurances. Um, and the only one that I'm still just waiting to get onto is Kaiser. Otherwise I do take all the different insurances. And I think that helps families because I know sometimes counseling can be expensive. And so, yeah, I do do that.
1: Wow. And if somebody doesn't have insurance, may I ask what your cash price or. Yeah. So if somebody doesn't have
2: insurance, you know, um, obviously I'm willing to slide, but at the moment, the cash price would be 120 initially and then a hundred afterwards.
1: And that's for an hour session, or and that's
2: for an hour, or just under an hour session, okay. yes. Right. And then at the moment, I'm doing both. I'm doing virtual, and then I am also doing um, in office twice a week.
1: Beautiful. And where is your office located? And um, my office is in Irvine. Um, oh, okay. And um, what? is the best way for people to get in touch with you.
2: Yeah. So the best way for people to get in touch with me is just to call me at my work number, which, um, and hopefully we can put it up, is 714-716-9905.
1: Beautiful. Toby, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to speak with you today and share all the great work you're doing. And I just want to let you know and all of our friends out there that you are amazing.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our time together. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.